Uh, well, I first give honor to God and to, um, to all of you. I am glad to be here, and I'm glad you're here with us this morning or this afternoon now. And uh, I'm glad my wife is back home. She was gone for a few days. I'm glad she's back. Glory to Jesus. Thank you. Uh, it's been a whirlwind weekend for me. I went up to celebrate my mom and dad's 80th. Their birthdays are like four days apart. Yeah, and a uh, little side journey since we have some time. My mom and dad, their birth records are kept in North Carolina, and they didn't keep too good of records back in the day. And so for many, many years, my dad thought that he was older than my mom. Right, so you know, I'm older than you, you gotta pay attention to me, yeah, kind of thing. But then the birth certificate came out and he found out that he wasn't. He found out that my mom was older than him. And then one year, my brother, my mom's, my dad's sister came up to visit him and she told him that she had a birth certificate, his original birth certificate, that made him like a year older than her. And so my dad has two birth certificates. And so now he goes by the one, of course, where he's older than my mom, you know, <laughs> which is cool. So I was up there with them celebrating their, their 80th um, and 81st, soon to be 81st for my dad's um, birthday celebration. But it's been a whirlwind for me because I went up there and I was sitting at the airport getting ready to go up there and I called my mom and said, Mom, you know, I'm, uh, I'm at the airport now. I'm coming to see if flights look good. And, uh, but my, my mom didn't answer the phone. My dad answered the phone. And uh, so I said, hey, Dad, what's going on? He said, uh, well, I'm at the hospital with your mom. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, she's had some problems and she has diverticulitis and if you don't know what that is, um, it can cause bleeding really, really quickly and you can bleed out in a matter of minutes. And um, my mom had had it before and so this wasn't a surprise to, to us, but it was still touch and go there for quite some time. And so she was in the hospital and she had to spend the whole weekend in the hospital you know, in lieu of, in, in, in spite of the fact that this birthday celebration was going on. So I'm up there trying to run around with my family, do the birthday celebration thing. My wife's out of town. I get up this morning to get ready to come to service. Been up since early this morning. Hit the button on my car to start my vehicle. And it starts and it runs. But when I go out there to jump in it, it's dead. And it's cold. And you know, it's, it's, you know when, you, when you go to start your vehicle and it goes, yeah, 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 click, 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 click. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I get it. I'm speaking on temptation this morning. <laughs> and you promised me that you would not allow me to be tempted above that which I am able. So if I am in this, I'm here for a reason. And so as I'm teaching this today, know that it came to the preacher first before it came to you. Uh, you're just the recipients of the overflow of what God has given me for you this afternoon. Let's pray together and then we're going to dive into the word of God. Father, thank you so much for the tremendous opportunity that I have to communicate your word as you've given it to me to these your children and my brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, I pray that as as I open my mouth to speak for you, 
pray that you speak through me. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And so you, you speak through my mouth, you think through my mind, use me as you see fit today. And I will give you all the praise and the glory. Your people will be edified and you will be glorified by what is said today in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. As you know, we are going through the book of Mark. It's a study of the book of Mark. And some of it will be inductive. Some of it will be exhaustive. And um, we left off last week, Mark chapter 1, beginning or at the end of verse 11, Mark chapter 1, verse 11, and I, let me find it here real quick just to, because I want to make sure that I'm with you. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there, Mark chapter 1, and we ended off at, like I said, at verse 11. I told you that Mark's writing style is really like, um, like a, a, a ground zero, ground level news correspondent who's giving you play-by-play, blow-by-blow of, of something that's occurring right in the moment. I used last week Operation Desert Storm that commenced on January the 17th, 1991, and I said that, that um, Bernard Shaw was on the ground and he was, he was recording as, uh, he was, he was, he was um, um, talking and explaining how Everything had commenced, and, and the ground fire was, was, was taking place, in the, and, the, and with missiles were dropping, and the skies were lit up, and he was giving us step-by-step details with events and with people of everything that was going on. And I said, Mark writes with that same kind of fast-moving description of, of persons and events. I mentioned to you last week that Mark is, the, is fond of the Greek word that translates to our word immediately, or our phrase at once. It's a word that he uses in the, in the first chapter 11 times and more than 40 times in the entire book. I said to you last week that Mark emphasizes the challenge to Jesus by satanic forces and how Jesus continues time and time again to defeat them to triumph over them, to dismantle the ways of the enemy. I said Mark's gospel really speaks to the kingdom of God breaking into uh, the earthly kingdom, the kingdom that we live in, God's reality breaking into our reality as a son of God, Jesus Christ, comes on scene as a servant Messiah. I told you the central theme of, of Mark is Jesus Christ, Messiah, Son of God, King of kings, and how he becomes the suffering servant that comes to pay the ransom for our sins and to also serve as a model of suffering and sacrifice for all of his disciples, each one of us, his children, God's children to follow. I said the anchor verse for, uh, for the book is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus states that even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I want to pick up where we left off at the end of Mark chapter 1, verse 11, and we'll pick up at verse 12. But just, just by way of recap, remember that Jesus now had gone, he had been, he had been immersed in the water by John the Baptist. He'd come up and three things happened immediately. First, 
the skies were torn open, and then the Holy Spirit of God descended like a dove, basically to coronate Jesus for ministry and to empower him for what was to come. And then third, it says that the, that the voice of God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So you can imagine that at this point, Jesus comes up out of the water. He's seeing all this heavenly activity. He's endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit comes down, gently rests on him, and he hears the voice of affirmation from his father. He's in a good spot, right? But watch what happens. Because this same Holy Spirit now does something interesting. Let's pick it up at verse... Pick it up at verse 12. The Spirit immediately, everyone say immediately, drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. I mean, there is a lot packed in those two verses So I'm going to be somewhat methodical in my approach today to unpack some of the things that I think are really, really important for us to know as followers of Jesus Christ as relates to this encounter that Jesus had with Satan in the wilderness. Because here's the truth. War had ensued. And the most critical time in human history had just begun. The king of kings has entered into the domain of the enemy. And it is a, it is a, a, a moment of truth, if you will, where the son of God now has to encounter and he has to face the God of this world. And in the balance of this conflict is the redemption of all of humanity. Think about that. That's the warfare that was taking place in the wilderness. I want to give you some definitions here. The first definition is for the word drove. Mark says that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. That word drove um, uh, is, is... Uh, is a word that means expel. It means to send away. Mark uses this same word when he talks about Jesus casting out demons, as as Jesus does in several places in this book. And here's the idea. The idea is that the Holy Spirit forcefully leads Jesus to face temptation and evil instead of coming around the back way or or coming from behind and lassoing it or or coming about in a roundabout way. No, he takes Jesus out into the wilderness to have a face-to-face confrontation with temptation and evil without avoiding it. Hmm. I also think it's interesting that the number 40 is used often in scripture, and when it does, it often appears in the context of of testing or, or judgment, and so it seems that God chooses this number to help emphasize that, that we as human beings will go through 
times of trouble and hardship and testing. I, I left up there for you several references where you can take a look at how 40 applied to Noah and how it applied to Moses and, and Elijah and Jonah. I, I think probably the closest example of, of 40 as it relates to Jesus and his encounter with Satan in the wilderness is, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David confronts Goliath. And it says Goliath was standing on one side of the mountain and, and the children of Israel were nestled in on the other side. And for 40 days and 40 nights, this giant, who by the way, was just three inches short of 10 feet tall, that's a big dude. And he's yelling obscenities for 40 days and 40 nights, challenging the children of Israel. Very similar. Hmm. So scripture says the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to face temptation and evil. The wilderness that Jesus was led into was, was, was primarily dry and uninhabited. The wilderness by, by the Jewish nation was viewed as, as a place that the evil spirits hung out. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, Jesus is talking about someone that an evil spirit is cast out of. And he says, and when that evil spirit is cast out of that house, he goes out into the dry places, the, the places that lack water, the desert places, the wilderness, and he searches for a place of rest, and finding none, he returns to that house, finding it swept and clean. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes back out to the desert, to the wilderness, and he gets seven more demonics, worse than him. Everybody say worse. And then Jesus says, and the condition of that person, once they come back and occupy him again or her again, is worse than what it was before, the wilderness. It was also in the wilderness, in the mountainous regions where Jesus confronted the, 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 the slow down, Pastor. Say, slow down, Pastor. Thank you, I think I will, thank you. The demoniac of Gadara. Jesus steps off the boat. There's this demon, there's this man who's possessed with a legion of demons. A legion is more than 3,600 demons. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to spiritual warfare in a minute. He's possessed with a legion of demons. Jesus ends up casting that demon out, or those demons, out of that person. You found that person in the desert, desert regions or in the, in the mountainous regions. Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan continually for 40 days. And here's what's interesting. Mark doesn't use the term devil, which means slander or deceiver or accuser. He uses, he calls Satan by his name. He says, Satan. He says, Satan tempted Jesus. Satan means adversary. It means opponent, one who opposes. It means the enemy. Jesus was having a face-to-face -face encounter, not with who Satan is, is, is called or what he's named. He has a face-to-face -face encounter 
with Satan himself. I don't want you to mention that. I don't want you to miss that. So, he's tempted by Satan continually for 40 days. And let me tell you something, I, thought, I think that's interesting too. Because often when I read this passage, I, I, I thought that the temptation came at the end. Because the Bible speaks of the temptations that took place at the end. But when you read this passage in the Greek, it says that when Jesus went out there, he was continually, from the time he got there, continually being confronted with temptation by the enemy. So it begs the question, temptation being put to the test. Why would God, why would God the Holy Spirit forcibly lead Jesus into the wilderness to be put to the test by Satan himself. And for us today, what's relevant for us today, why does God allow us to go through temptation, tests, and trials? Why do tests and trials come to us? Well, in Scripture, we find that God allows testing, the testing of his people for two reasons. The first is to reveal, and then the second is to develop our character. And so from our text today, we see God clearly allowing Satan to, to test Jesus, so to reveal the true nature and character of Jesus and ultimately provide through Jesus an example for us to follow on how to dismantle, how to pick apart the temptations of the enemy. Now, I'm getting happy about this, man. Ooh. Temptation. Temptation is the pressure to yield to influence that can lead you away from God's plan for your life. Temptation is, a, is, is, is the pressure to yield to influences that can lead us away from God's plan for our lives and lead us into sin. Hmm. Sin. So you say, well, pastor, what's sin? Y'all know what sin is? What is it? Separation from God. That's good. Missing the mark. Disobedience. Hmm? All those things, all the above. Give yourself a hand. I love to participate in class. Somebody said missing the mark. Listen. Sin is an archery term for missing the mark. If you think about the mark, you think about a target, right? And you know you got the lines on the target. The whole target is a target. That's the mark. But sin, sin takes us away from the, the place that God wants us to be within the mark, which is the bullseye. The bullseye on every target is the sweet spot. And so sin is Satan's attempt to take us out of the sweet spot of relationship with God and thereby not fulfill what God's individual and specific plan is for us. You get that? So I have a key statement for you. Temptation is not the desire to sin. It's the opportunity to sin. See, Satan always presents temptations, and through the temptations, he offers us an opportunity to sin. 
And his sole intent of offering that is to get us out of the sweet spot or to get us out uh, uh, off track. Get us out of alignment with God's purpose for our individual lives. That's what temptation is about. And here's what James says. James 1.13, James says, God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't tempt us. But here's what God does. He allows Satan to tempt us. And when God allows temptation, it's always for our good. Why? Because when God allows temptation, he allows it to reveal what's in our hearts. Is my heart surrendered to the will of God, watch this now, for my life? That's the question we have to ask. Is, is my heart surrendered to the will of God for my life? Hmm. Temptation will always answer that question. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Because if you are like me, and you are, because you are a human being, so you can't get out of this one. If you're like me, whenever temptation comes, we always have an option, don't we? Whenever temptation comes, it's like that, that commercial where you got the, the red devil that comes and sits on your shoulder on one side and does this, and you got the angel that comes on the other side and does this. Whenever temptation comes, in that moment, there's always a why in the road. And in that moment, God is allowing Satan to test what is in our hearts. Somebody say, preach it, pastor. Ah, I believe I will. Man, I'm, 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 I'm teaching you something here today, man. I want you to get it. Mm. What is my heart's desire? When God's will for me is the object of my heart's desire, I can be, I can be presented with any opportunity to sin, and I won't yield to it because I won't have the desire for it. Y'all want me to say that again? Yeah. When God's will for me is the object of my heart's desire, everybody say heart's desire. I can be presented with opportunities to sin and not yield to it because I won't have the desire for it. Or let me say it a different way. The desire might come because of the temptation, but my desire for more of him will be greater. It's when our heart's desire is not lined up with the will of God for us. That's when we get in trouble because then when temptation comes, we are more likely to give in to the opportunity to sin. Why? Because we have misplaced desires. Man, I was listening to T.D. Jakes one time. How many know who T.D. Jakes is? How many don't know who T.D. Jakes is? You should, you don't, you should Google T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jake's a big African-American brother who walks around with a towel on his head, on his, on his, on his shoulder, and he could, that brother can preach. T.D. Jake said this. When it comes to temptation, you never know the depth of your faith or your character until you've been in a good fight.
Listen, it's, we don't grow very much when things are easy, do we? But you don't know the depth of your character and the depth of your faith until you've been in a good fight. Mm. Mm. Let me tell you something. Satan is bold enough to come after Jesus to, uh, to, to get him to, to step outside of the Father's plan for him. Rest assured, he has no problem with coming after us. Listen to this, man. From the time of Satan's rebellion in heaven where he convinced one-third of the angelic host in heaven to come with him, from that time, from that moment on, it's been constant, intense opposition to the plan and the purposes of God for every single human being that has walked the face of this earth. He is the master deceiver. He is the master tempter. He has been doing it for thousands of years. But I got news for you today. Greater is he that is in me and you than he that's in the world. So Satan's been after humanity. And he especially tried to draw Jesus away from his mission. And Mark, I love Mark, but Mark doesn't really give us too much detail. Like I said, Mark is just like, he hits it and quits him. He's like, bam, bam. He just gives you just enough to whet your appetite. So, so in order for us to really see a detailed encounter of Jesus' time in the wilderness with Satan, we got to go to Luke chapter 4. So I want you to join me in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 1. Jesus encounters Satan personally before confronting his forces. He has to, listen, Jesus confronts the boss first. I don't know if you, you know, I used to play a lot of video games. Well, not really. I used to play like one video game, and I still do play video games. Y'all pray for the pastor. Because I like me some Assassin's Creed, man. Right? And in Assassin's Creed, there's always a big boss you have to take out before you can, like, advance. Right? Jesus, before he could even step into ministry, he had to confront the big boss first. Hmm. Because before he could set the captives free from sin, he must first triumph over the captor. So now let's look at the account of it. Verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing. Everybody say nothing. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. <laughs> okay, let me just confess to y'all. Sometimes it's hard for me to fast a day. Oh, y'all look at me like, mm, pastor, you need to do better. When's the last time you fasted? I ain't trying to put the heavy on you or nothing, but y'all know sometimes it's hard to fast, especially these days because you're, I mean, you're at the touch of a button, you can get whatever food you want. Instantaneously. How many know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know you do. But he was hungry. And so the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, and, and in the Greek, it's not if you are, it is because you are the son of God. You are the son of God. I know who you are. 
Since you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Yeah. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment time, in a moment of time. Let me stop right there for a second. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to really unpack this because I'm just, I'm just going to hit like four significant points out of this passage. But there's a couple things I want you to notice, right? Spiritual warfare. Everybody say, everybody say spiritual, spiritual. Warfare. warfare. It's got to be spiritual. Because how in the world can you see all the kingdoms in the world in a moment's time if it's not spiritual? So this was a completely spiritual thing going on. In a moment's time, and he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Wow. Wow. Did you hear what Satan said? He told Jesus, I'll give you all these kingdoms, and here's how I can give it to you. Because it's been, it's been given to me. I think the King James says, because it was delivered to me. Where do you think that, that the kingdoms of the world were delivered to Satan? In the garden. When Adam disobeyed God and sin entered into the world, at, before that, Adam was, had dominion over everything. And, and, and when Adam fell in the garden, he, he relinquished the kingdom of this earth to the God of this world. And so Satan tells Jesus, he says, listen, I know you created the heavens and the earth, but guess what? This thing is mine. Because it was given to me. I have a rightful ownership of it. And I'll give it to you. If you'll then just worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall not worship the Lord. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of a temple, of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, I say every temptation. So it wasn't just those three. When he had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. In Jesus Christ, we have authority over every demonic influence and spirit, including Satan himself. But if we are going to effectively dismantle the temptations that he sends our way, there are four points of awareness that I want to bring to you out of this passage of Scripture that I think we need to pay attention to. Here's the first one. If we expect to dismantle the temptations of the enemy, the first thing we better be is filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Better be filled with the Holy Spirit, man. So you say, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. Let me answer that for you. <laughs> when you want to fill your car up full of gas, you take it to the gas station. When you want to fill yourself up with water, 
you consume water. When you want to fill yourself up with relationship, you, you step into relationship. If you want to be full, everybody say full. If you want to be full of the Holy Ghost, then you've got to spend time with the Holy Spirit. And it's not as, easy, as hard as you think. You know why? Because he's in this room right now. Listen, go on and preach it, Vicky. <laughs> he's, listen, he is everywhere at all times, and he's here right now in this room. Listen, it's, listen, we got to get to the point to where we're having a conversation with God, the Holy Spirit, just like I'm talking to you, Denise. Because that's how our Father wants us to relate to him. So, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what happens if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, my time is going by fast. Man, I'm almost done. I got about a half a page left. I can stretch it out for you, though, if you want. I won't do it. I won't do it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, we, we find Paul, he comes down to Ephesus, and he lands in Ephesus for a while, and he encounters a whole new, uh, 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 um, um, I want to say Packers, Packers is not the, not the deal, church. He encounters a whole new church of believers, a group of believers that are fellowshipping. And so he steps into the group, like Paul does, and he's checking it out. And he says, um, he says so have y'all received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And these folks said, we didn't even know there was no Holy Spirit. What's a Holy Ghost? And so Paul took the time to explain to them what the Holy Spirit was, what the Holy Ghost was, and then he took them out there because they had been baptized with John's baptism. He took them out there and he baptized them, and they received the power, the, 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 uh, the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they began to prophesy and speak in tongues, the Bible says. Paul stays there for two years, training disciples and raising disciples, casting out demons. And there's these people on the sideline, on the periphery, and they're seeing all this stuff happen. And they're like, whoo, these guys are powerful. I want some of that power. All I got to do is call on the name of Jesus. Right? That's what they're doing. They're calling the name of Jesus. These demons are like taking off. So I think I can call on this Jesus. Right? So these seven guys called the seven sons of Sceva, they go out and they find a demoniac. And they go, I adjure you in the name of Jesus. To come out of this person. And that demon rose up. He said, hey man. Paul I know. Jesus I know. But you ain't been hanging out with the Holy Spirit, bro. You don't have no power. Okay, I was thinking about this this morning. And I know this is the second week. This is the second week, right? This demon got on these cats, commenced to whooping them up, and they ran out naked, all seven of them. This is the second week in a row I've been talking about naked people. What's wrong with the pastor today? <laughs> it is in the Bible. <laughs> That's right. What's the point, pastor? Listen, we have power and authority over every single demonic spirit. There is not one that we don't have power and authority over. But if you want to be successful with combating the enemy when he brings temptation to you, you need to be full. Everybody say full. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
Here's the second point. You need to know your enemy. Jesus knew Satan and Satan knew Jesus. But Jesus knew and obeyed the voice of his father. He said, man, I only do what my father tells me to do. That's it. And as disciples of Christ, we need to know the voice of God. We need to be keen to the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. They won't follow nobody else. The voice of a stranger, they will not follow. And we need to know the voice of the Lord because Satan knows Scripture. And he can twist Scripture around. He did it. Listen, he did it to Jesus. Jesus, okay, here it is, Psalms 91, right? He tells Jesus, hey, man, he says, uh, command these stones be made bread. Jesus said, nope. He says, um, uh, then what about if, you, if, I, if I give you all these kingdoms? Jesus said, nope. He said, what about this then? What about making a name for yourself? What about if I take you to the, to the pinnacle of Jerusalem, sit you up on the tower, and then, and then why don't you just jump down and just glide down in front of everybody because then they'll embrace you. You won't have to go to the cross, bruh. You can just do, you take the shortcut. You can just like glide down as the angels take charge over you lest you dash your foot against the stone. Satan was quoting scripture to Jesus. I'm almost done. You know what I used, to, I used to say? Why do these preachers always say I'm getting ready to close? And then and they ain't ready to close, but I am almost done. <laughs> I am, really am. Scripture tells us we shouldn't marvel that Satan can deceive the way that he does because he can transform himself as like an angel of light. He is the master deceiver. We're living in the last days, you all. We're living in the last days. We have to know that we know in the part of us that knows things that we are deep into intimate relationship with God and we know his voice because the enemy is going to bring stuff to us that don't, I mean, it doesn't look bad. It can't be bad. I mean, it's not wrong, but just because something is not wrong doesn't make it good for you. That's where temptation begins. We have to know the voice of God. We have to know our enemy. Okay. So, what do we do? Write this down, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Read it for yourself. One of these days we'll go back to Ephesians and preach it and so we can all get happy. Here's the third point. We need to trust God's plan for our life. See, Satan tried. He had a plan. He tried to alter uh, Jesus from, from, from stepping into the express will of God for his life as related to his specific ministry. Here's why. Because Satan knew if he could get Jesus to step out of, out of being the son of man into being deity and performing works of deity when he was supposed to be just, just being a servant king, he said, man, Jesus will no longer be the spotless lamb of God. 
Because in taking, in, in doing these things for selfish motive now, he stepped into flesh. Hmm. But Jesus didn't yield. The writer of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in, who every, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What's our time of need? You're going to need grace to help in your time of need as we step into what God has called us to do with the gifting that he's allowed us to have. We are going to need the grace of God to be able to do what God has sent us here to do. Just like Jesus had to carry out his mission, God has given a mission and a mandate for every single disciple of Jesus Christ, and we are going to need the power and the authority of God to be able to carry it out. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to do like Jesus did. Jesus followed the plan of God for his life. God has a plan for our life. Satan has a plan for our life, too. God wants us to follow his plan. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and Melissa, you can come forward. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says, or Jeremiah says, and God is speaking, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of good, not of evil. To give you a hope and a future. I love how the King James says it. To give you an expected end. We need to follow the plan of God. Here's my fourth point. It ain't over until it's over. Yogi Berra just passed away not too long ago. It's one of his famous yogiisms. It ain't over till it's over, but listen, it's relevant for us. It's relevant for this passage of Scripture. Look what Luke, thir look, look what Luke 4, 13 said. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, not permanently, but for an opportune time, waiting for another time to come. Don't get comfortable. If you're not going through a trial right now, don't get comfortable because trials are coming could be that, that Satan is, is waiting for a more opportune time. It could be that God is protecting you and preserving you for something, but it could be that Satan is, has backed away for a more opportune time. You've heard me say it once, or maybe twice, maybe a few times, but I'll say it again. You're in one of three positions at all times. You're either in a storm or trial, coming out of one, or about to go into another one. At all times, one of three places. And until Jesus comes back and we receive our glorified bodies, we cannot let our guard down or we'll find ourselves yielding to the very temptation that will take us out of this world. So what does this mean, Pastor? How can I effectively dismantle the trap of the enemy? How can I effectively fight the temptation that the enemy brings my way? So counterintuitive. Stand with me now.
the only way to fight the temptation of the enemy is to wholeheartedly surrender. That's the only way, man. I'm looking out over this congregation and I, and I know, I know the personal testimonies of many of you and I've watched many of you come to that point of total surrender and say, man, I'll tell you what, when we surrender to the power and the authority of God, man, he gives us the ability to step in and through every single storm that we face, the storm that we stay, we can surrender to you. walk in So as I close today, I want to ask you one question. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me if you would. I don't ever want to assume that every person in here is a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know his voice? Have you surrendered your life to him? If you've never surrendered your life, Jesus. You've not tasted life until you do. But maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, Pastor, you know, I, I want the power to I want the, the, the power to, to fight temptation under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the only way I can do it. That's clear to me now. And I that's what I need and I want to surrender my life to him today. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Since there's not one to all my brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with this today. Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, every person on earth faces temptation of sorts and nothing's new under the sun. But the God that we serve, whose presence is on the inside of us, is faithful not to allow us to be tempted above that which we are able but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that we might be able to bear it. And so my encouragement to you today is if you're facing a temptation that's like kicking you and beating you and knocking you down, shift your focus. Don't look for the temptation. Look for the precious promises of your father who says, I got a door of escape for you. I just want you to turn the glance just a little bit and look to me and put your trust and confidence in me and me alone. Father, I want to thank you for this time that we've had today. Thank you for your word that it forever be settled in our hearts, not just so we can be hearers of your word, but that we can be hearers and doers that we can experience life transformation as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said...